Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin, so kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football right at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates, stats, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and the Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you the access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember, use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out the latest Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise now. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. State IPA is available now at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get state ipa check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information must be 21 years or older to purchase please drink responsibly hi everyone and welcome to the first ever live post game show for state of state he is justin king i'm tom hannafin penn state just wrapped up a odd road win against northwestern number six penn state finishing up some play before their bye week they win the game by score 41 to 13 this didn't feel like a 41-13 to 13 win, Justin. I've been dying to do the show with you since this game really kicked off because offensively, the, the team looked like it didn't even wake up from a coma until the third quarter. Do you have any sort of light that you can shed on what we just witnessed? Well, we talked about it all week when we mentioned the major risk factor of playing away at Northwestern and just the energy level being so low that sometimes you come out asleep. There's 11 a.m. kickoff and coming off of a whiteout type of game where the atmosphere is at a 10 max of just college football or just sporting events in general to come down and just executing your craft in front of pretty much a lackluster fan base. And you just can't let it rub off on you. But I think Penn state let it rub off them a little bit. We're starting off. You just said like they came out looking asleep. Like when you talk about the turnover margin coming out and immediately a fumble, uh, and the, obviously the defense had a, a plus four margin on that where they stopped them to a field goal. But just the way that they came out, it was just lackluster and just a, and just sluggish. But we mentioned, like I said, we mentioned that earlier. That's the thing that made me nervous going into this game. But end up coming out with a 41-13 win. And it seems like every time we have a blowout outcome, 
we can still point at these different things. And so for me, when I look back and I scale out to the macro of it, it's like, okay, we're still in uh, good command of what we want to do this season, but came out asleep. Yeah, that final score doesn't tell the whole story. And this is the 12th <laughs> straight game Penn State have scored 30 points or more dating back to last season. So it's like, okay, cool. But the means by which, which they did it was odd. Um, just a reminder to everybody that's joining us live. First of all, thank you so much. This is the first time we're doing it and kind of on 24 hours notice. We appreciate you guys uh, filtering in. Get involved in the comments section. I believe the Super Chat function is engaged. So if you guys get involved with Super Chat and donate, that goes directly to the channel in terms of what we're able to do with this show hopefully being able to do more of things like this and beyond so thank you for that i can see a bunch of you guys already getting in the comments section uh like subscribe turn on notifications rate us this will air uh on demand i guess you can say on our audio only platforms and of course on youtube after the fact but we're just kind of diving into this i'm seeing uh diana in the comments section uh saying scary first half i completely agree with you uh, Eli also saying glad we were able to clean it up after the half. Listen, things did get cleaned up, but I, I do want to focus on that first half because I, I was texting you. I couldn't necessarily tell what the problem was. And it was more so, I don't even want to say it was more so the passing game. Both facets of the offense necessarily weren't operating well. Let, let, let's start with Drew Aller. What did you like from him today? What, what did you see from him that was worrying? When you think about the passing game, it's – it's more than just one function. It's not just the quarterback. You have to have protection. The receivers have to create separation. Guys have to catch the ball. So when I said, like, I mean, you remember you mentioned, like, is it the receivers or is the quarterback? I'm like, man, everyone's asleep, right? Whether it's pressure on his face, guys, it seemed like at one point makes a catch and then Cephas uh, is blocking instead of running a route. There's some drop passes here and there, but that just overall lack of execution at the beginning, just that sluggish start. I think that's what we saw from just the, inefficient passing game at the beginning of the of the um of the series at the at the top of the game but even from the running running game standpoint I, they weren't really moving the ball at all just but they were i will give kudos to them staying committed to the run throughout but at the beginning definitely not as efficient as we would like to see from a quarterback but didn't have any turnovers so we can kind of live through that yeah, we keep coming back to that. Drew Aller has yet to uh, commit a turnover this season or as a Nittany Lion. Penn State finally had its first giveaway, its first turnover of the season on literally the first play of the game on that opening kickoff. So that was kind of setting the tone for what we were going to see. But focusing on Drew Aller, he finishes 18 of 33, 189 yards, one touchdown. That's about a 55% completion percentage. Uh, his favorite target was Nick Singleton. Keandre Lambert-Smith came in with four for 86. Uh, specifically, Singleton, his load uh, was accentuated because of an injury sustained uh, by Katron Allen. So we'll get into that in a moment, but I want to focus on, on Drew Aller. There were instances that I saw, Justin, where he allowed his mechanics to be flawed. He was affected by the pass rush of Northwestern. There were plenty of instances where it looked like he and his receivers just were not on the same page. And it, it harkened back to me some of those worst games for uh, Christian Hackenberg once upon a time, a dude with all the arm strength in the world, but the inaccuracy problems cropped up often during his time. It, it was kind of something that unraveled a bit during this game, and it brought you back to what happened against Illinois, but it almost seemed worse. Not entirely sure what to pin this on, just kind of, young quarterback kind of still getting used to these road starts? Absolutely. 
that's where I would initially go. I mean, we've seen we've seen them in the whiteout. We've seen them throughout different games. And again, it's only the fourth game of the season going into the bye week. There are a lot of different adjustments need to be made. And when we talk about just the development arc of a quarterback, a lot of it has, comes down to snap count and just him understanding the different aspects of the playbook and operating in that. I think is extremely critical moving forward, and especially at this point. So I wouldn't raise any red flags too much because I would put equal onus on the receivers in terms of giving a pocket. There were certain certain catches, that, certain catches that should have been made. And when you're helping out a young receiver, I mean, we talk about Kate trying Allen going down. And that's one of his premier running backs in the backfield. Um, obviously Trey Potts steps up big coming in and providing some value um, as a veteran running back and even getting uh, Nick Singleton into the passing game and just making those nice, efficient, manageable throws. And that's, I mean, there's a two heads, two heads to that uh, coin, right? Where it's one, it's good for the offensive coordinator and Mike managing the throws and not doing anything in the turnover area, but at the same time, open up the playbook so we can see Drew at his, as a special phase, because I think he, we see him shine best when he's on the move and the pockets kind of breaking down and extending plays. And a lot of times at the beginning of the game, it seemed like, you know, Northwestern was kind of bringing the same defensive game plan that Iowa did, like make this kid be disciplined throughout the game and not let him break out and, you know, have success from that standpoint, which we did see later in the game with uh, Keandre Lambert just breaking through and hit him on an open strike. So I think that's a that's a growth development curve that you're expected to see through a quarterback. But it was definitely an ugly first half to be just to be clear. But with his, I mean, the way the rest of the game just had to take it in totality. Keandre, you mentioned him. I thought his second half was was better. And I think he something clicked for him in that when he caught the ball, he was making sure that he was going to do something with it. He had that nice long completion down the sideline, was trying to make a couple guys miss. When you started to see multiple receivers platooned out there, like for the most part, we've seen like the top three or four wide receivers out there. And I mean, uh, Dante Cephas, uh, Harrison Wallace is still out, obviously, but Liam Clifford uh, and then uh, uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, obviously. So when you started to see Caden Saunders, Amari Evans, it's like, okay, these, these guys are messing up. So this is Franklin putting guys out there being like, somebody go out there and make a play. I think that message was received by Keandre there in the second half. And then it was like, hey, I, I got to be the guy. I got to step up. Even still, there's a lot that you still want out of this receiving core. Again, that... Here's here's the thing with Aller today was check down Charlie, and I don't know what that was. I don't know if that was lack of confidence or if that was the Northwestern secondary doing a really good job because they were not good against the pass last week against Minnesota. I think it's a combination of things. Where is the defensive perspective or the defensive personality to keep everything in front of you? What Northwestern was doing, and on top of that. Mike and how he manages Drew in the play calling from that standpoint. A lot of things were coming from a, a three-step drop, quick game type of situation from the offensive play calling. I mean, from the offensive pass play calling standpoint. But the the run game wasn't really picking up as well. Yeah. So I think I think Katron Allen going down have definitely had something to do with how they were approaching the game because just talk about him averaging probably about five yards a carry and just his running style versus Nick Singleton. But with that being said, I, I think it comes down to receivers making a play. I mean, it was funny as the, as the game was going on. I had a friend who played for the Northwestern team. We played back in 05. And he sent the box score of the end of the game. 
And it was very interesting because he was like, man, you guys should be blowing us out. What's going on? And when you look at the box score of when we played, it was a very lopsided game. Mike Rob threw three touchdowns, three interceptions. But when you looked at the touchdown category, it was a high clip of big plays and scoring touchdowns. So when we get down to the receivers, I'm trying to draw the point of it comes down to guys making plays. And if mm-hmm. guys aren't going to make plays consistently, we talked about it earlier a couple of weeks ago, not having that premier possession receiver where you can go to on third and six, third and four, because those are the key possessions in the game where we notice a lack of that number one receiver. We, Hey, we can go to this guy started to happen later in the game with again, Keandre Lambert. And I think he has to be at this moment, our big play receiver and our uh, possession guy, possession guy. I mean, move the stick. So you you saw a nice little dig early with Dante Cephas and different things, but he's been inconsistent with just, I don't know if it's not knowing the playbook. I'm not sure if whatever it is, a little drop. I think he could have had a nice play on the deep ball where he ran a, um, out and up after uh, after it was a, a turnover on downs or something happened in the fourth quarter where it was a, a major missed opportunity. Uh, yeah, like the third down, it was the drop by Cephas. But just saying to say, it, receivers need to make plays at the end of the day. So I think mm-hmm. rotating those guys in there from McKayden Saunders and all those different guys is critical because I think it's getting to the point of the season, like, yo, who's going to step up and claim the two, three, and four spot as a receiver? And that's a... I mean, I think that's James' way of putting the onus on the receivers and to see who's going to step up, and they need to step up. They've been talking about that since winter workouts, really. Um, I do want to get to some of the questions here in the comments section. Thank you to all of you guys that are tuning in here live. Uh, This is from Eli. Tackles for loss and sacks of plenty today. Was that due to a bad Northwestern offensive line, or was that our defensive line showing it is really elite? I saw Aeneas Hawkins, a friend of ours, on social media talking about how Dion Barnes, the defensive line coach, first year as a defensive line coach, has done an excellent job. Granted, there's a ton of talent that he inherited, but it seemed like I think it was both. I think this is not the best Northwestern offensive line, and I think the way that that front four was able to get a pass rush, and then, yes, Manny was pulling out blitzes, but, I mean, what did you see from those two units? Well, when you think, I mean, just to touch on first, the defensive line coaching position, and it's in the football ecosystem. I mean, it's one of the premier coaching positions and probably one of the hardest ones to find because just defensive pass game work, run game work, is it's an art in itself. It's essentially kinesiology and combat fighting in the interior line. So, like, so kudos to Deion Barnes with that. And I think we've seen just the elite talent from Penn State today. I think later in the second half, uh, second half, early in the third quarter, Penn State started to really have a chance to pin their ears back and like really show that pass rush. And I think they answered the call when we talked about elite defensive line play where there wasn't a clean pocket in the first half. Obviously, Northwestern had a horrible offense, but football is an execution game. You can have a statistically bad offense and a dominating defense, but you still have to execute. You can have an interception that you can drop. You can have an open pass that you can let go through your fingers. So there's, it comes down to execution. So to see those guys execute at a high clip into where they look like a suffocating, you know, anaconda like defense up front. And when we talked about it earlier, like closing out games, I think we saw that today with the interception with Daquan Hardy from a, a from a pressure earlier, Zane Durant jumping in there and even uh, DDS with Dennis Denasa. And I think he really flashed earlier along with chop uh, Adisa and all those guys. Mm-hmm. I do want to get to another comment here. This is from Chris. Chris, you've thrown a lot of comments in here, so I apologize for getting to some of these Penn State uh, Mon Alto grads. So thank you, Chris, for tuning on. Uh, for rough games like these, do you think the players <clears throat> need to step up more or the coaches? 
I mean, I love that we're talking about it's a rough game because it was a 41-13 victory. I know this doesn't always. It just I, didn't I feel that way. It doesn't yeah. feel that way. I, I definitely understand, but I think that goes into the positive category. But it's always on the players to perform. There's a level of the coaches, I, I would guess, that would be on them for the players to come out a little lackluster and sluggish at the beginning, knowing that that was coming to. But that's a that's a human nature thing that happens in football. So I mean, I think it does. I think it's a it's a combined effort. It's a partnership between coaches and players. So it's up to the players to come out and execute at a high clip because it wasn't they weren't absent of fault today. Whether there were drop passes earlier in the game, not creating a separation, miss, uh, inaccurate throws from Drew. And whatever, because every play call, offense or defense, is designed to win, right? It's up to the guys that are executing and the mismatches that are presented. I mean, I'll, like Penn State, from the offense standpoint, goes into that empty set to try to find mismatches, and they did that often today. Where he, Drew was finding the right mismatch, whether it's a little off or it's outside of the frame of the receiver. Like guys have to catch the ball, and like that's that is what separates great players. So to answer that question. I mean, it's a, it's a continued effort to keep the fire hot from the coaches and making sure that they're executing at a high clip and open it up and let them have some confidence, like open up the playbook on both sides of the ball. And the players need to execute at a, at a, at a high level in the championship level too. And especially from the outside um, receivers, just guys really stepping up on a consistent basis. Diana, with a great point here, your uh, best offense is a great defense. It, it was a team effort, and I know that's a bit of a cliche phrase, but it, it's been very true in that the last three games, the defense has been lights out. Not to say that they weren't the first two games, but still these last three games, the defense has been absolutely outstanding. The offense has ebbed and flowed, but the defense has been constant. So that was great to see at least one of the three phases be really solid from kickoff to the final whistle. That was encouraging. I think there's a, a really big question here from Chris from earlier on. I didn't want to forget about this. Which side of the ball do you think needs improvement in order to have a chance against Ohio State and Michigan this offseason, uh, this season, excuse me, offense or defense and why? I would definitely go with the offense. I mean, when you just think of uh, often setting the tone of how the other team plays, whether they're getting points on the board, it's extremely hard to stop some of these explosive offenses, even with an elite defense and being an opportunistic defense, there's moments where you can't have fumbles. I mean, I know it was on a kickoff return, but it was our running back at the inside the 10-yard line. Like we can't get off the off the field at the beginning of drives with third and four and third and six and not continue to flip the field against dominating teams. Penn State has been winning with a short field based on just superior personnel at this point. So like the offense definitely needs to step up. And we talk about just the running game and making guys miss. I think that's something that Catron Allen did very well that we would like to see a little bit more from Nick Singleton. I think he, he gets taken down by the first defender quite often. And I think some of his runs, even the previous time have come from open holes where he can split through and really show his, his significant or elite engine from a speed standpoint. But as we continue to do that, I mean, we've seen Trey Potts, even from his running, his run that he had, that was a nice, uh, nice little move. He made somebody miss in the open field. So just more elusiveness in those big plays on a consistent basis, I think, is what we would like to see from Penn State's offense that would open up uh, just the dynamics that, I mean, they're putting on the field. 
Uh, Kabindra here with a, a, some good points in the comments section, just saying Singleton going down essentially on that first touch from the defense. Uh, I, I don't think any running back is ever exclusively to blame when the running game isn't working. Um, I do put some blame on the interior of this offensive line. Now, granted, J.B. Nelson did go out with an injury. Uh, you insert Vega Yuane, but this is somebody who Vega they have spoken very, very highly of for a while, so it was a good chance for him to get out there. You saw Drew Shelton as well in it, right tackle there for a few instances. But for the most part, the offensive line was intact. JB, I know, is a very violent guard to have on your team. So I was curious to see how that adjustment would go. So it was disappointing to see that the Penn State offensive line just wasn't getting the same push that we had seen. You know, it, it wasn't anything earth shattering against Iowa, but it was encouraging. This was less encouraging. Uh, Chris's comment is what is up with the running game? Trey Potts seems to be the most patient runner. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that point about Potts. He's the most experienced runner. He, he's, been in, he's been in college football the longest. We have to remember that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are true sophomores, and they're still learning. And I know they're unbelievable talents, but they're still learning. But uh, Justin, I defer to you. What is the thing that needs to be fixed with the running game? I think we're just seeing a difference in expectation from the defensive coordinators and defenses that they're running up against. Last year, you have two true freshmen running backs where if I'm a defensive coordinator, it's like, all right, how much are they going to kill us? So like a lot of cleaner, uh, cleaner holes that they were running through last year where they were making moves and just in, uh, interacting with defenders at the second level for the first time, oftentimes. And this year, a game plan has been to stop the run game. So now it's a different level of having an expectation from defensive coordinators and defenses like, hey, they're going to run through these guys and we have to stop them. So like with with them being on the bulletin of every defense moving into the season, I think that's what we're seeing. But the counter to that is then the long boys and the running backs have to step up that next gear and understand what they need to do to close that gap. So I think that's what we're seeing from last year to this year. But I definitely think it comes down to I hate to say it, but it comes down to the passing game to get these guys out of the box. I mean, they're facing eight and nine man boxes where, again, the goal is to stop the run. When it becomes to play a, a solid defense where there's six or seven in the box and you have to cover the receivers because you fear them from making big plays or going over top on the defense, I think that's when you start to see the type of situations that we saw last year where they're interacting with defenders six and seven yards down the field and being able to make them miss with a little bit more heads of steam. It's not too hard to shoot a gap as a defensive player. Me, even myself, as a, a smaller guy, I used to love to see those small creases when I can get there before the running back sees me, when there's like a running back that we're keen in on and just go shoot those gaps. I mean, just got to slow them down in the way that, I mean, defense are pursuing. They love to stop running back. So I think it's a it's a it's an answering the call from the running backs and not resting on their laurels or success that they've had in the previous previous years and figure out what it is they need to do to get to that second level. But it's going to be imperative for the receivers to help in that um, in that venture. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's complicated, I think. And this uh, this bye week, I think, comes at a better time than I believe we all realized in the grand scheme of things with what is ahead. Granted, you have UMass at home next in two weeks. But then you go on the road to Ohio State, and that's uh, what is worrying a lot of people that are joining us here live and then the chat, especially the stark difference that Kabindra points out uh, between our stat line at home versus away. It was pointed out last year that his completion percentage was close to 70%. When he was pressured, it was close to 40%. Today, he was around 54%. He was pressured a good amount. Uh, I honestly thought, uh, you know, Sun had a good point here. 
yeah, Sun win here. Uh, Singleton needs a hole and a room to bounce outside. Uh, pass protection seems to be better, but Auer doesn't hold it as long as Clifford either. That that I I, I think it's faster, but it, here's here's what I noticed when they went to more of a tempo style, Justin, and they really didn't go to it till maybe like late in the third, early in the fourth. That's when you saw the passing game start to click and the tight ends really started to get involved a little bit more. Tyler Warren became the move the sticks guy all of a sudden, Theo Johnson as well. And I almost thought that Drew, I don't think he was necessarily holding it too long. I thought that the play design was just requiring him for a five or a seven step drop when it's like, hey, like if he gets the ball out of his hands one or two seconds, that's the window for separation for these receivers. I think it's been established that Penn State's receivers are not great about getting separation from defensive backs. So this wasn't necessarily something where I saw uh, Penn State playing down to the competition. I think that Northwestern played up. They certainly were motivated by getting an overtime win last week at home uh, coming from behind against Minnesota. But there's just little things like that that I think jump out, and I believe Mike Yurcich will ultimately take with him. Um, big shout-out to former Penn State defensive back, part of Ly Lockdown U, Lydell Sargent, joining us uh, in the comments section live for this recap. We really appreciate it, Lydell. Thank you. Big fan. Got to get him on the show at some point. Um, let's take a few more questions here from everybody that's been joining us. And again, thank you to everybody that's tuning in live for this. I know we put this out here kind of uh, last minute. I want to come back to this point about the running game. Uh, what's up with it all together? Katron Allen, we're not entirely sure what his injury was. I thought I saw Justin as he was coming off the field. He was holding his midsection. Can't be entirely sure what it was. I thought this was a good experience for Nick Singleton off the conversation you and I had this past summer on State of State with Journey Brown, where Journey saw how Saquon would get 20, 25, 30 carries in a game. And he's like, man, how do you do that? And it's like, not that Nick hasn't had 20 carries in a game as a Nittany Lion, but like, this was a good experience. It's like, you're the guy. Trey Potts is backing you up, but you're the guy now. No, 21 carries is a, a full day's load. I mean, 3.8 yards a carry is not, I mean, it's, 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 it's not something that you shout to the moon about, but at the same time, this is a different workload that he's had. And so like, there isn't a, a compadre to share the hits with. I mean, and the defense is singling up on number 10. I think that's what, I mean, even led to Trey Potts averaging seven yards a carry three yards. I mean, three carries for 21 yards and a touchdown in the 13 yard uh, long. I think it just comes down to it's a mentality. Like when you're playing running back within a rhythm, again, I'm always looking at the partnership between coach and player play caller and quarterback and that whole situation. They haven't been used to getting into a rhythm and running the ball 10 times uh, consecutively or just being the, the workhorse for the whole day. So this has been, I mean, this is a nice little experiment for Nick Singleton to understand that. I mean, I like the red zone play call where it's a play action and him getting out there and yep. even using them in the past game a little bit more. Um, it's a leading is, receiver, six for 39 on six targets and a touchdown. So we, we can't like, we can't discount that. So like him working in with Trey Potts, I just think it was a, an adjustment today with the, with um, Katron Allen going down, but yeah, I don't, that's, I mean, it's just, this is the first time he's been used this way. That's all I can kind of fall down to, like, when I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think there's a lot of work this offensive line can do 
in the running game and in pass protection. I think those two things have got to come around. Cabindro uh, with another question here is Wallace still not playing need more fellas in the receiving core. As far as we know, uh, I don't know if you've heard anything differently. Justin Harrison Wallace uh, inactive for this game as well. Uh, he's definitely somebody who helps Penn state move the sticks in the passing game. Yeah. I mean, you would love to see him back, but I'm, I mean, not sure because I think the the staff is looking for someone to step up. I think early we were talking about the Jack of all trades approach of the district distribution equally across different guys. But now that we're getting to those moments where like we need someone to come through on third down or convertible third downs or second downs or just those big plays. I think that's just the room where you would like to see guys available to step up to make those plays. Um, Kabindra, once again, Bo seems very competent as a backup, a la the 2021 Iowa game. Oh, yeah, poor Taquan Roberson, that game. Uh, unfortunately, that was brutal to watch. I feel bad for him. Uh, and then Ark Ross saying Bo knows touchdowns. That was an interesting play there at the end of the game because the commentary team pointed out is that it looked like he faked taking a knee and then threw the touchdown pass. Uh, which is illegal, but it wasn't called. So that's why you wind up getting this 41 to 13, this kind of bloated score when on the field, it just didn't necessarily seem that way. But yeah, Bo came in and looked solid in the minimal reps he had. I'm not sure why I, the announcer said that because that's a pretty typical play, um, especially for is that Is that not an illegal move? Not at all. I you mean, can take you know, a knee? Not a, no, not taking a knee. I just don't think he was trying to take a knee. It was more so faking a quarterback draw where you're like running forward oh, like Tim Tebow. forward yeah like Tim Tebow used to do or just any type of running quarterbacks in the RPO type of style so you get that going especially from the history that Bill uh not Bill <laughs> that Bo been put that's been putting on film mm -hmm. where it's a lot of just run plays so you get that because the defense is probably thinking like hey we're not going to run too much let's crash with him and throw the ball so I think that's a typical counter for a running quarterback so I wasn't really sure what that uh that officiating announcer was talking about yeah am i the only one who in like the officiating announcers i don't want to hear from you if it's not dean blandino man i don't want to i don't want to hear it man. <laughs> dean, dean knows the game because like when you're talking about the rules it's like mm -hmm. understanding the rules versus understanding the context of the game as right. well what the coaches are trying to do and i think that was just an announcer that wanted to show his uh, knowledge of the rule book. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I don't, I like, I just tell me what the final decision is. I don't like, you want to <laughs> sit there and speculate? That's cool. But I don't necessarily need, you know, some dude in a suit that he bought at Kohl's sitting in the studio being like, I think it's this. And then he ruins the whole moment for you. Or he's just like flat out wrong. Like, I, I don't necessarily need that. Uh, Rick getting involved here in the chat. Thank you very much. Uh, the running game would kick butt if Bo Prabula got some packages and more playing time. You and I have talked about this before. There was talk during the offseason that there will be a quote-unquote Bo Prabula package for within the, the ones, the starting offense. We've not seen that. It's pretty much been when the game is out of hand and Penn State is at a lead, Bo comes in as part of mass subs with the twos, the second team. Uh, what do you think? Would you like to see the bow package, quote unquote, with the ones? You would like to see the bow package and you would also like to see more efficiency from the past game from the the ones. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. we talk about rhythm and getting guys rolling in the offense. I mean, I mean Drew's going to be our guy rolling forward, but I am not against Bo getting some more action earlier in the game and just throwing that wrinkle in the chain, whether it's a past game offense from a running quarterback where they have to just be prepared because even we think of those red zone 
attacks with play action passes. I, I, a lot of these first, a lot of the first four games or first quarter of the season is setting up your offensive coordinator or his chessboard for the rest of the defenses that are watching how they prepare. So putting as much uh, information and things out there as possible that, that so that other teams have to prepare for a multitude of looks. I think these first four games would have been the uh, uh, the best time to do it, but I don't think it's too late to try to get it, get some action with that coming into coming out of the the bye week, especially again moving forward because I think Bo has shown to be very productive and an efficient um, weapon on offense. Yeah, RG saying here could be saving it. Maybe it'll happen in a few weeks, and I actually completely agree with that. If this is something you didn't see rolled out until you know break glass in case of emergency against Ohio State or Michigan. That would make sense to me. So uh, speaking of Ohio State and Michigan, this is a, a comment from Chris from earlier on in the show, and I did want to circle back to this because it's much more of a macro question. Do you think that the team's skills, play style, et cetera, is competitive enough to beat Michigan and or Ohio State this year, or am I getting panicked too soon? I think he's getting you're getting panicked too soon, but I think – Better match, better matching up with we match up better with Ohio State than Michigan, just based on our weaknesses and strengths. I think from just uh, across the board with Ohio State, we match up probably the best we have over the past five to ten years. Um, just the style of play that we play, whether it's just like length, speed, um, a horizontal game. But obviously, Michigan has been built differently. Where I think we've been. We've had the edge on the edges where there's the receivers and skill positions over the past, I don't know how long, but just that interior makeup and Michigan's commitment to building up that running game and interior offense and defensive line has been a little bit tilted in their side. So I think it comes down to that game where we talk about true execution and playing the chess game of finding the matchups throughout the game. So to answer the question, I think we match up better with Ohio State and Michigan's the one that gives me angst. I completely agree, and if anything, I, I'm, I have a little bit more angst about the Ohio State game now after what happened today just because, again, it's it's a road game. That's going to be in Columbus, and I've been talking about is that it seems like a race between Kyle McCord and Drew Aller, who is the better quarterback at that time. I, I still believe Drew Aller is the better quarterback at this point in time, but he clearly in his two road starts has struggled, and I don't think – Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, Columbus, Ohio isn't going to have the central time zone problem. Uh, so hopefully, you know, maybe that's the culprit. I really don't know. Maybe it's just playing away from home and he's getting used to it. That's entirely likely. But playing in Columbus is one of the few things about this game that is giving me pause. I agree with you. I think Penn State matches up well. And considering the way Notre Dame gave Ohio State trouble, I think Penn State will exacerbate a lot of those things that were glaring and especially the way Penn State's defense played today and have played now the entirety of the season three straight weeks absolutely lights out number one in total defense coming into this game and I I don't see that stopping a uh, question here from uh, Jay Biz um, why didn't Manny Diaz mix up the D with some zone uh, his calls are too obvious sometimes um, not sure what you saw Justin uh, I thought he had a pretty good mixture of defenses I was calling against, and especially from just a personal standpoint, you don't need to get too exotic with the blitzes. I mean, that just leaves you open in certain areas. I mean, so so playing as straight up as possible, especially when you have the edge and I think the talent area or the talent column, I mean, it's pretty good. I think he calls time timely pressure defenses when he feels 
um, uh, some type of press coming in from the run game. I don't think it's uh, yeah, I don't I, I just think that's his identity. And I think I, I more so lean on the respecting of someone that understands their identity because they build everything around that. And so, I mean, it can be a you can maybe tell what he might do, but he switches it up. He's known to be a multiple defensive multiple look defensive coordinator. So if you're feeling that you understand what's happening, I would get ready for the counter moving forward. Cause I think mm -hmm. maybe all about their offensive coordinators like, Hey, we know we're going to do, and we're going to start seeing some switch ups. And I mean, we see it later in how the games have progressing when mid third quarter comes, the dogs get loose in terms of pass rushing turnovers start to be start to create. So, I mean, again, 41, 13, I think that's his identity just to answer the question. Yeah. Um, there was a third and 15 for Northwestern deep in Northwestern territory where he sent virtually an all out blitz. I think he left four or five defensive backs in the backfield. And that was the one that I believe Ben Bryant nearly converted. They measured it and they came up fourth in like six inches. So that was the only one where I'm like, hey, man, just drop everybody back to you know with the line of scrimmage. Just, you know, bend, they, don't break on third and 15. And then they get to stop the next the next play because they, they wound up in. They, they wound up revising uh, the call and it wound up being fourth and short. And then I think they got the stop on fourth. I think down, they got the stop, right? Correctly. So yeah, it's so like, like all's well that ends well. But hey, it's third and 15. You, I yeah. don't need to tell you this, but it's uh, like, hey, I, you're willing I, to give up a few to just get them to fourth and punt. Because those giving up a few, like that's how. Like I'm a leaning towards the opportunistic side. Like that's where opportunities come. Mm -hmm. And like I remember that play. It was like it was an all-out bliss where a couple players, defensive players, let guys inside, and they were chasing the receiver so they couldn't even see up, see the quarterback to come off. So like those type of plays. I mean that is the that's the risk reward of an aggressive defense. So once you assume that aggressive defensive identity, you know that you might give up some plays. It's like a cornerback. That's, I mean, not everyone's going to be a lockdown. You got guys that are Marcus Peters that give up a lot of touchdowns, but they create a lot of turnovers. And I think there is a, there's an accepting and a balance between the two. So I, I love the fact that, that he leans on the aggressive side. Hey, in the grand scheme of things, the defense got six sacks, 12 tackles for loss. Uh, an interception late in the game, three pass breakups, and six registered quarterback hurries. I don't even know if that number is accurate because it felt like much more than that. Double-digit negative plays. Like there, there were plenty of instances where Northwestern couldn't even move the ball forward. And we had talked about how this was a slightly different Northwestern offense, more the passing game. Ben Bryant could not get comfortable. Zane Durant absolutely crunched him uh, on that one sack, and you never wish an injury on somebody, but you just saw the way the defensive line and, and that pass rush performed today. It was really, really solid. Uh, Rick also hopping in the comments section here, Minnesota's best and longest plays were the quarterback running out of the pocket under pressure, but our DBs got caught in man coverage. Uh, listen, we've had Johnny Dixon on this show. The secondary likes playing man. Manny Diaz likes playing man. They just want to line up and play and see who the better player is at that point in time. So it's kind of live and die by that man defense. Uh, Chase getting involved here. That O-line is so overrated. No push on the run. Better teams will eat them up uh, in reference to Penn State's offensive line. I, I do have similar worries, uh, I think, against Ohio State. You're, you're going to deal with the pass rush more than you are going to deal with uh, the interior of that defensive line from Ohio State really bending the line of scrimmage. I, I don't need to remind people what JT Tuimalo did last year to Sean Clifford and company. So you'll still see the pass rush, but I think there's going to be opportunities. That being said, 
let's not forget that Penn State is on its third left guard. Landon Tangwall was supposed to be your starter, had to medically retire from football. Then you went to J.B. Nelson, was performing well. He gets carted off today. Then you go to Vega Yuane. Next guy in there is a cross-trained tackle, Drew Shelton, potentially. So it's you're, you're getting down on the depth chart, and that that is something you have to think about now, Justin, going into this bye week is Harrison Wallace, we've talked about, missing. You're on your third left guard, and what's the future of Katron Allen? All of a sudden, you know, the guys on the injury lists are starting to worry you. Well, it's thank God there's a bye week, right? Like that's what we talked about going into Great the timing. game. Yeah. It's like <laughs> going into the game where it's like, hey, we get excited because it's a bye week. We just have to get through this with a victory, getting through with a victory at 41 13. And you give an extra week for all those guys that we mentioned to get healthy or get diagnosed to see what's going on. Coming back full strength and understanding clearly what they need to improve on in the second half of the season because we're going into the, the gauntlet here pretty soon. Uh, speaking of that gauntlet, uh, this a comment from Sun. Uh, have people seen Michigan play this year? They don't really pull away until the third quarter. Also, I think most people here only looked at the final scores. Uh, listen, I've had the chance to watch Michigan. I would agree with that to a degree. It's not the same bite that Michigan defenses have had over recent years. They've had, you know, like rolling out first round draft pick defensive end after defensive end. I don't know if that's necessarily the same thing this year. But it there's there's nobody in the wide receiver core for Michigan that scares me. It's a big, nasty offensive line. They're going to do what they always do. Two outstanding running backs. And J.J. McCarthy isn't asked to do all that much. So I still worry about the Michigan game, kind of like you, Justin. Uh, having that game at home, contrary to the Ohio State game, makes me feel a little bit better. And hopefully by the time November 11th comes around, they've shored up these problems. Uh, again, I think you just hit it. This bye week is really timely for Penn State. It's not a desperation mode thing, but it's like, hey, let's get healthy. Let's regroup. Let's talk about what we need to fix. Yeah, I mean, that's what that's the first quarter of the season, too, right? Like the first four games. And I mean, it's all about making adjustments and continuing to get better. Right? I think what we get worried is we when we see the same problems show up. Right? I mean, at one point we could we were worried about the run defense. I think today we started looking at the run defense a little bit different. We question uh, what does the pass, the pass rush need to look like for it to be elite? I think this week they answered that question. So some of just the areas in where we want to just see improvement and just talk about explosive runs and just be, besides the first um, series of the season, like explosive plays and just really ramping that up because like it seems like based on the score, we have an explosive offense, but like uh, dynamics of a, of a fight or a game change based on that beginning, um, those first two quarters of a game. And that dictates how offensive coordinators call their plays. That dictates how how defensive um, coordinators call their defenses and their pressures. And it's just up to us to like make sure that we check all those boxes and really, I mean, hitting on all cylinders from the offensive standpoint. Because I think from the defense, I think we're pretty sound to elite across the board. Uh, Rick, to your question here, we talked about Trey Wallace not out there today, um, has still been unavailable from a medical standpoint as far as we know uh, the last few weeks, so hopefully Trey gets back soon. And then a question here from Chase, uh, why no play action? Um, I do have to disagree. I thought there was a fair amount of play action. Uh, it just don't know if it necessarily had the same effect. Uh, what did you gauge from the way Yursich ran the offense? I mean, you talk about touchdowns. I would say that the fake draw or the fake nil from from Bo was a play action because it's like a fake run to a throw. And then Nick Singleton's uh, pass uh, that he had 
from a play action standpoint from the from the goal line. That was another play action pass, and two of the both of those came up with touchdowns. So it was the efficient play action calls. So I didn't really see a problem with it. And I think what it really showed to though is like that was a part of their counter and coming out and continuing to run the ball, even when they were not seeing the success that they would probably like to see from a Nick Singleton, where it's just under four yards of carry and still setting it up for those short yardage play action passes to be efficient and effective. Mm -hmm. Rick, thank you for your donation. We appreciate it. Again, all questions that go in the super chat help us do this a little bit more often here on the channel. So we appreciate you guys that have been joining us live. Uh, I've said it before, this is going to post on our audio only platforms, wherever you get your podcasts Uh, in a matter of moments, we'll get this uploaded. This is going to be on our YouTube channel. Uh, Justin, final thoughts on this game, because it felt, ugly it felt a little sloppy at times especially in the offensive side of the ball defense was phenomenal once again and the score doesn't necessarily tell the story but you hung 41 to 13 on a big 10 opponent that you should have hung 41 to 13 on like our the good friend on our show todd blackledge said it is hard to win games on the road in the big 10 so just coming from a personnel standpoint, a player standpoint, anytime that you win a, win a game, 41-13, going into the bye week, starting the game that the, the way that we did, having a negative turnover margin and still coming out with that level of victory and still being clear about what we need to improve on, I feel good uh, coming out of, this, out of this game. Obviously, it puts you in that right frame of like, we still won. We're going to talk about building confidence and winning and winning different type of ways and very clear expectations and improvement points that we need to operate on with a two week gap um, going into the bye week. So I feel good about this victory. It was still, uh, again, I like ugly victories at the beginning. Just need to start cleaning those up. You're a defensive <laughs> guy. You love an ugly victory. And, and I want to reiterate, you, you get a win period. You remain undefeated. You keep pace in the national conversation you're not going to drop from number six for what you did today you're going to stay in that range everyone didn't tune into the game so when it when the score scrolls down the bottom of the national scene and they see penn state number six it's going to look like penn state State took care of business penn state took care of business right so Mm -hmm. i mean we got to keep everything in perspective yeah a lot to a lot to work on luckily you got a bye week to heal up get organized I do not expect any sort of different performance against UMass at home in two weeks. That should be an easy victory, but no victory is easy in the words of Todd Blackwood. So um, I want to thank all of you so much for joining us. It's our first ever live post-game show. We are going to try and do more of these as our schedules allow. We appreciate you guys so much for joining us live. And for those of you that donated, that is extraordinarily generous. We appreciate it. Uh, Again, turn on notifications, subscribe, like us. That certainly helps. And rate us uh, if you're a podcast listener. Thank you all so much for joining us. And uh, we're looking forward to some rest and relaxation here during the bye week. We'll be back with a new episode on Wednesday. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by BetOnline. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E. 
AV on YouTube.